right, uh, church, welcome. I'll tell you what, I've been looking forward to this day uh, for a while. Um, and so I love these opportunities because I get to share with you what we've been doing in youth, what these children have been learning and growing in. And so really the, the foundational vision for, for 2022 for our youth that God put on my heart is the priority of prayer. The priority of prayer, because if you don't have a prayer life, anything you do that's spiritual or godly on top of it isn't going to really be strong. Amen? So prayer needs to be a priority in their life. And what we've been learning through our, our Wednesday devotions we've been doing is one thing that really stuck out that I loved was we've been learning about the different names in the Hebrew culture. And those names would describe the character of that person. And so what, we, what we've really been learning is these kids have a struggle praying to a God they don't know well because they don't understand his character and who he is. So what we've been doing is learning the, the names of God and the character of God to help them grow in their prayer life. And so, uh, church, before we, we dive into this, I just got to ask you, don't shoot the mailman, <laughs> please. I've lost sleep over this message. I've grieved over this message. I care for these youth. I care for your children. And sadly, when I started digging deeper and deeper into this and seeing the bigger picture, God was showing me there's so much going on that we don't clearly see. How many of you guys uh, ever watched this show called Kitchen Nightmares? A few of you? I don't really support the way Gordon Ramsay uses vocabulary. But one thing I do is I like to study things, and I noticed he gets to the root of it. He gets past the denial. He gets past the smoke and mirrors and gets to the root of what's going on. And so that's really what the Lord was challenging me on when I started looking at this in the state of our youth. And the title of this, I tried to get it all on there. But the state of our youth facing the reality. Facing the reality. And really what inspired this message was I listened to a little tidbit. And this really kind of lit a fire under me to want to dig deeper. And, and there's a, this, this quote that he started off with. And it was by, by Vody Bauckham. And he, and he said this. He says, if you send your children to Caesar to get their education, we need to stop being surprised when they come home as Romans. Church, we're losing 70 to 88% of our youth by the time they're freshman year in college. They have no involvement in anything spiritual that they grew up in. 70 to 88%. And I also apologize, I'm not really organized with slides and, and those such things. Pastor already said we're going to work on that next time. So, thank you. So, so I'm going to uh, try to repeat as much as I can because there's going to be a lot of statistics in this. In uh, 2011, there was a study done by Barna, and there's, they have a website, it's B-A-R-N-A dot com, and they have a lot of ministry statistics and studies. And in 2011, they did a study, and they said 11% of youth lose their faith in Christianity. Not that they lose their salvation, but they just lose their hope in what Christianity stands for. 40% leave the church, but still call themselves Christians. 
20% disconnect from church and express frustration about the church culture. And 30% stay involved. Church, I think it's fair to say these numbers haven't improved much since 2011. That was the year I graduated. I'm going to read one more quote. And it says this, Our children are not falling away because the church is doing a poor job. Our children are falling away because we're asking the church to do what God designed the home to accomplish. I'm going to say it again. Our children are not falling away because the church is doing a poor job. Our children are falling away because we're asking the church to do what God designed the family to accomplish. See, what blows my mind is before there was church, there was the family. The Bible doesn't speak on programs. It doesn't, it doesn't know school. You won't find school in the Bible. It talks about training, discipling, and teaching. Fun fact, I learned, learned this. Sunday school actually uh, came about in the, and, and before everybody thinks I'm against Sunday school, Sunday school is good, it has its purpose, and it can serve in great ways. But we need to understand what it was actually used for. See, in the 1700s, it came, actually came over from England, and it was used to help teach the children that were working in the factories, because this is before child labor laws. So it was used as a form of outreach to get children education through the church. And so what ended up happening is, as it started making its way over to America, that, that kind of mentality reached its way into America, there was two big arguments that people were concerned about. One, it was going to start including children in Christian homes. Two, it was going to replace the discipleship that was supposed to happen in the home. And that's what's happened. See, the Bible does speak on family, and it speaks on where real teachings and discipleship happens, and that's the home. And sadly, church, if we can't get the family rule and design right, and then our chances of getting the church design right is slim to none. What happened was over time, they thought they institutionalized the Sunday schools, and it became a discipleship arm instead of an outreach arm. On one of these articles, I looked up the, the top three challenges that, faith, that face a youth minister. Number one challenge that faces youth ministers, busyness of youth, 86%. Second biggest challenge was lack of interest from the parents, 41%. Number three was the breakdown of the home at 31%. So I think it's clear to say we need to start in the home. And please do not think I'm trying to be mean or have an angry spirit or heart about this. I'm broken about it. So really it starts in the standard in the home. See, really, most... Christians in our culture today live no different than everyone else. There's very little distinction between our lives 
and the lives of the pagans that live down the street. We wear the same clothes, we watch the same shows, we go to the same schools, we worship the same pagan holidays, and we worship the same sports. There's this thing called shifting baseline syndrome. I'm sure Zeb knows about it because he's a game warden. Shifting baseline syndrome, I'll go slow, a gradual change in the accepted norms. A gradual change in the accepted norms for the conditions of the natural environment due to a lack of past information or lack of experience of past conditions. See where that's starting to plug into the family right now? See, the standard in the Christian home has changed so much from, from what Scripture has taught and what it has designed that we've become used to the normalcies of a lowered standard. So when we encounter the truth of God's Word and how it talks about the home, a few things happen. One, we usually see it unattainable. We see it too extreme. Or we live in denial thinking that we're doing what the Scripture says we should be doing in the home when we're really not. Because the numbers reflect otherwise. And you're probably like, okay, are you going to get to the Bible verses yet? Yes, I'm getting there. <laughs> I hear this verse all the time when it comes to youth and children. Proverbs 22.6. Proverbs 22.6. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Some say raise, but when you really look at that definition that's used there in the Hebrew, it means to train. It means to teach a particular skill or type of behavior through practice and instruction over a period of time. I'll read it again. To teach a particular skill or type of behavior through practice and instruction over a period of time. Beloved, we need consistency. And understanding this. Let me ask you this question. Who's doing most of the training of your children? Who's doing most of the training of your children? You want to know the average time spent in the home discussing spiritual matters in one week? 30 minutes or less. 30 minutes or less a week. Do you know your school's Public schools, kindergarten to 12th grade, your child will spend 14,000 hours in their seat alone. Being taught godless knowledge, godless ways of thinking around lost people from lost families. See, 2 Corinthians 10.5 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, Casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Let me ask you this. Is philosophy a thought? Is science a thought? Is math a thought? Preferences from the lost world, is that a thought? How do we teach our kids to take such things captive when we spend less than 30 minutes talking about spiritual matters in the home? 1 Timothy 
says, O Timothy, guard is committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. What about cell phones? Yes, they have a purpose. Yes, they can be useful. But really, what, what does your child's screen time look like? Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat. What does the screen time look like? Who's training your children? And for some reason, the age gets younger and younger for these kids to have cell phones, and I'm losing my mind. Like, why? Well, I got to get a hold of them. Oh, because they're so busy. So you got to get a hold of them. What, what, what did parents do in the 70s, 80s, 90s when they had, the kid had to go somewhere? They had a limited schedule. You kept track of them. So typically, what I've seen is their child gripes and complains that they want a phone, they want a phone, they want a phone, and the parent finally gives in, and the child just wants to have their phone because they can be just like their friends that they see that have them. So what does the Bible say about teaching and training our children? Teaching and training of the mind. Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. says, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Amen. Amen. Psalms 1, 1 through 2. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Notice he doesn't say he reads it day and night doing this, because, you know, life gets busy. Meditate. It doesn't mean clearing your mind. That's what the world wants to tell you. It literally means to chew back and forth, to process, to think, to understand. Our youth struggle so much in knowing what that means. They read a verse and they're like, huh, I don't know. It's too hard for me to figure out. They walk away. Teach them to meditate on it. Talk about it when you rise up in the morning. As you go through the day. Colossians 2.8 it says, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. Sometimes we act like, God, I need you to give me some special vision to teach me how to raise my child. And he's like, I've given you the word. It's right here. Romans 12 too, that's one of the most famous ones. People want to be super spiritual and quote this all the time in church, outside of church. But what about when we apply it to our children? 
It says, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Sadly, any training we do say we do to our children often comes in the form of the same patterns of the culture. And we typically don't see a problem with it because it seems harmless. Example is sports. I love the marriage conference. And besides what I'm going to talk about with this guest speaker talked about, and besides worshiping, this is probably the other favorite thing. <laughs> you all know what I'm talking about. Um, I'm glad he kind of he just, you know, was explaining. He, he was from, grew up in India at a, at a time. When he came to America, I'm going to try to just paraphrase this because I don't want to get all the details wrong. And he came back, he, he came to America, and whoever picked him up, I'm pretty sure it was his family member, said, hey, do you want to see the biggest church in the city? He said, sure. And he drives him to the stadium where people change so much of their schedules to be, paint themselves, do chants, prioritize. And, and he said, said this point, he said, it's easy to point out idol worship when you're in someone else's culture. But it's hard for us to recognize the one in ours. See, this revelation really hit me when I was, got to watch the Super Bowl. And I seen how many people and how many children paid so much respect to a national anthem on a TV screen at a game that was miles and miles away, but yet I've seen so much disrespect toward the holy, righteous God in his house when it comes to showing him respect and service. Church, there is a 0.0296% chance that your child will be a professional athlete. 0.0296% chance that your child will be a professional athlete, but there's a 100% chance they're going to stand before Jesus Christ. 100% chance. Our children see how we act and how we prioritize things outside of the gathering, and truly people act what they truly believe. Let me ask you this, if you have any children, grandchildren. When you look into their eyes, what do you see? What do you see? Do you see a future sports star? Doctor? Nurse? Teacher? Engineer? Someone with so many gifts and abilities they can just be a utility and do anything they want in life? Is that all you see in, in their eyes? Or do you see a person either spend eternity in heaven or hell? Do we view our children in view of eternity or just in the here and now? It breaks my heart because so many parents think they don't have enough Bible knowledge to teach their children. If you can read, you can teach your children the Word of God. You just have to make sure you stay one step ahead of them in it so you can teach them <laughs> see what I've seen happen again and again is that parents think because their little Johnny 
said a prayer and he meant it and he got baptized and he's here at church at least once a week, sometimes twice a week. So when he gets older and he departs from his path that you trained him up on, you can make yourself feel better by saying, I think he'll get back, I trained him upright. But he's exactly on the path that he was trained up in because we never took the time to pay attention to discipleship in the home. And we expected the church to do what God designed the home to do. I hear this often. I hope I distilled enough God in their life that they'll come back. How often is God's word the foundation and priority in your home life? It's a self-evaluating thing. Is it only when it's convenient? Is it only when you have an opportunity to come up to do something? When? Now my third favorite thing that I want to bring up is, look this up, powerof4bibleengagement.com powerof4bibleengagement Love this study. Um, this is one of my other favorite things they talked about at our conference. And they basically did a study of how often somebody would engage in the Bible from reading or hearing it, how often they would have to for it to really notice a change in behavior or in, well, in risky behavior. And it says that teens that read or listen to the Bible are significantly less likely to engage in risky behavior if they do it at least four times a week. What was interesting was the kids that did it one to three times a week didn't really show any significant change from the ones who didn't do it at all. They can get the word and at least four times a week or more, they're 59% less likely to view pornography 30% less likely to struggle with loneliness. Guys, we have youth that feel alone. I can only do so much as a minister. I'm here to support and reiterate what you should be teaching at home. That's what I'm here to do. Training takes time and consistently, and sadly the government and the schools are doing better than us. And then I hear this one always, this argument. Well, if my child's at church all the time, they'll end up being pushed more away from God and resenting God in the church. It's a fair statement, but that's only because they're around something that is foreign to them that should be familiar in the foundation in their home, but it isn't, so they have no real interest in it. They are trained in these things that glitter and excite them constantly around the world that engage them. So when they're here, they get something that's not normal. And then they go home and they get all this stuff that is trying to reprogram them. I'll tell you what, I almost got sick when I was doing some research and and, and some people, I, I got this little promo for a youth event deal. And I clicked it, and they were like, it was just like an advertising. And I started looking at it, and I'm like, they have to go through all this smoke and mirrors, all this excitement, all this visual enlightenment, just to try to get kids excited. And then they can argue the point, well, it's to help reach the youth that are lost. Well, the only ones really going to that are the ones that are in the church. So if that's what we have to do to get them excited, the holiness of God should be what gets them excited. 
I'm not against having fun. I'm not against doing awesome things, but there becomes an issue when the holiness of God is boring to them. And we don't implement that same practice about, oh, I'm afraid they're going to get burnt out. We don't do that with their sports. Some kids have practice every day of the week, games twice a week, and I don't hear the same complaint about it. But when it comes to church, we don't want them to burn out. Be careful. I'm going to try to read this one slow. I wanted this one on a slide. It says, the biggest issue we end up, the biggest issue is we end up viewing Christianity from the viewpoint of the normalcies of this culture rather than viewing the normalcies of the culture from the viewpoint of Christianity in the home. Biggest issue is we end up viewing Christianity from the viewpoint of the normalcies of this culture rather than viewing the normalcies of the culture from the viewpoint of Christianity in the home. I'll give you this last bit of statistics about a biblical worldview. And some of you are probably like, what is a biblical worldview? A biblical worldview was defined as believing that absolute moral truths exist and that such truth is defined by the Bible. And I wanted to do more research because sadly the a few different sites I went to said that only 10% of people who claim to be Christians have this view. But those with a biblical worldview are 18 times less likely to condone drunkenness. 18 times less likely to condone drunkenness. 15 times less likely to condone homosexuality. 11 times less likely to condone adultery. Thirty-one times less likely to accept cohabitation before marriage. A hundred times less likely to endorse abortion. Is this not the things that we see and have to preach about day in and day out? So what do we do about it? What do we do about it? As Pastor discussed last week, men, it starts with you. You're the priest in the home. You are. I'll read you this awesome this quote by Vody Bachman. It says, The church does not meet as often as the home. Okay? The church does not meet as often as the home. Thus, if Christ is to be worshipped daily, it is incumbent upon the home to play an important spiritual role. 
Consequently, fathers, as heads of households, are thrust into a pastoral role. We read it again. It says, The church does not meet as often as the home. Thus, if Christ is to be worshipped daily, it is incumbent upon the home to play an important spiritual role. Consequently, fathers, as heads of households, are thrust into a pastoral role. Whew. Can you imagine a church and a nation taking that kind of perspective in a man's life? even before marriage, like if that was the perspective when you started dating? If, because I have so many men, well, young men, boys, who are so excited for relationships and so excited for dating, but if they understood the call that God has on the man in the home, they'd go, man, I'm not ready for that yet. I need to work on my spiritual growth first. Do they know the qualifications of a pastor in the Bible? Could you at least get close to that in the home? Because if you can't, you don't need to be dating. Young ladies, do you know the qualifications of a good spiritual leader in the home and a man? No, but he has an awesome Instagram and TikTok and he's hot. Yeah, so is hell. (laughs) And this isn't me knocking women because one thing that I love about the Bible is it hits so many different areas. Women, you can help teach and disciple your children as well. Timothy, in the home, he was discipled by his mother and grandmother. You have an important role. (laughs) And wives, I understand it. It's not an easy responsibility. I get it. I'm a husband. We're not perfect when it comes to that area in life. We're We're not perfect. But if your husband's trying, if he wants to be like that, and he's striving to be like that, don't beat him over the head with his imperfections. This is always going to stick with me. Pastor mentioned this a long time ago. You're either going to be a helpmate or a hurtmate. Are you helping him be that man and spiritual leader in the home? Or are you hurting him and keeping him from being there? And ladies, I get it. Sometimes you're like, I'm just not there yet, and he just seems to be dragging me along. Man, you're to lead them along, not drag them along. Love them as Christ loved the church. In closing, I have one more thing I need to read. Well, a couple, actually. If you haven't noticed now, I'm a big theological nerd. C.H. Spurgeon, I believe, says it best. He says, you're as much serving God and looking after your own children and training them up in God's fear and minding the house and making your household a church for God as you would be if you had been called to lead an army to battle for the Lord of hosts. So in closing, what say you? What adjustments do you need to do? Joshua 24, 15. 
It says, but if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, choose for yourselves today which you will worship. The gods of your fathers worship beyond the Euphrates River or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. As for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. What say you? Break the denial. You've been confronted with God's word. You've been confronted with the statistics. It's time for us to take our heads out of the sand and realize something needs to change. If I could just ask everybody for a moment to, to close their eyes and bow their heads. really want you to, to think about what areas you might need to adjust. And I know I get it, it's hard. This culture makes it hard to make those adjustments. We say, well, what about this? What about that? I'm too busy. I can't do this here. You got to start somewhere. And God can help reveal to you where that needs to start so you can start gaining in your home where the devil's been living. Sometimes we can feel so broken and pieces, and that's good, because that means we need to be at the altar where God can help put the pieces back together and show us what we need to work on. Husband, wives, you're a team. We need to start acting like it and prioritizing if we really want to train up our children, because eternity is what matters. Heavenly Father, I just, Heavenly Father, I just pray that you can have a blessing over the hearts and minds that are here. That we may see a Goliath before us. But Lord, you've given us stones. And I pray and beg that families and couples, those with children, grandchildren, you can start helping them understand where to throw those stones so we can start gaining on training our children in the way they should go. Father, I just pray that you get all the glory and honor and that you continue to work on hearts and minds as we continue to sing praise to you. Jesus' name, amen.